Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the privilege of studying your word together. And we do so in the precious name of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Father, knowing that the truth of your word is not just learned intellectually, but perceived spiritually, we thank you for opening up our hearts, our minds, and our ears to hear the truth. And also to renew our minds by what we hear, to change us by what we hear from glory to glory. That we might conform to the image of Jesus and proclaim, dear Father God, the truth of your word to this generation that you've called us to. And we'll be certain to give you the praise, the honor, the glory that you deserve, Father, for all things that are achieved in and through our lives. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen. Amen. Praise God. Well, I titled the message tonight, Three Big Words. Three Big Words. And we're going to begin looking at John's Gospel, chapter 20, and verse 24. John's Gospel, chapter 20, verse 24. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. Well, there are three very important words that we all have to deal with in this life. And even more importantly, these three words need to be placed in their proper order if we're going to succeed. And those words are feelings, faith, and facts. Now Thomas was one who put them in that order, which is why I said them that way. Feelings, faith, and facts. And you notice by what he said, if I don't see him, if I don't feel him, I am not going to believe. And he was adamant about it. Well, as a result, of course, he got his name Doubting Thomas. He doubted. And Jesus told him not to doubt. But anyhow, the proper order is facts, feelings, I'm sorry, facts, faith, feelings. Facts are always first. Then comes faith. And the feelings will follow. But it has to be in that order. Now before we're too hard and critical with regard to Thomas, it's a shame that he got that name, Doubting Thomas. You know what Thomas means in Aramaic? Anybody know what it means in Aramaic? Twin. You know what Didymus means in Greek, twin, twin, twin. He was a twin. So they called him twin in both Aramaic and also in the Greek. And this man, this apostle, after he got a hold of the truth, he was on fire for Jesus like you've never seen. You can see in his life, even in the Gospels. In John's Gospel, chapter 11, you can 
watch as Jesus got the information about Lazarus who was dying. And finally afterwards he said, let us go now to Judea. And his disciples said to him, you know they want to stone you there and you want us to go there? In other words, they're going to kill you and what's going to happen to us? But Thomas had a different approach. Jesus said, look, he's asleep or he's dead. I'm going to raise him up. And Thomas said, let's go up at once. We're willing to die. I'm willing to die for you. Let's go up and die for him. That was his attitude. But after the resurrection, he had a hard time. He had difficulty with believing that he was raised up from the dead. And of course, you know the story. Finally, Jesus appeared to him. And after he appeared to him, he said, my Lord and my God. And from that day on, he went out evangelizing everywhere he went. He went as far as India, proclaiming the gospel among the people. And that's where he was martyred in India. So he gets the name Doubting Thomas because of that one incident. But think about all the others. What about denying Peter? Didn't Peter deny the Lord three times? How about the others? Did they believe that he was raised from the dead when, when they first heard it from the women? But for some reason, he's labeled Doubting Thomas. Go figure. But what a man of God he truly was. What an evangelist. What a missionary. Powerful, powerful message proclaiming Jesus everywhere he went. Let's look at these three words. First of all, the first word is fact. A fact is something that is true. It is absolutely indisputable. Mathematically speaking, two plus two equals four. That is a fact. Can't be disputed. Doesn't matter what country you go to. Doesn't matter where you live. Two plus two equal four. And that is a fact. So a fact then can't be changed. Doesn't matter what a person believes. It doesn't matter what a person thinks. It doesn't matter how a person feels. A fact is a fact. Isn't that true? Right. Well, if a fact is a fact and it can't be changed, then we can lay the foundation for our faith based on facts that come from the word of God. And that's exactly why God sent us his word. So that we could lay the foundation of our faith upon the facts of the word of God. Not our feelings. Not our emotions. But on facts. And you know what? Beloved, God wants us to believe his word just like we believe mathematical laws. We know there are natural laws, but there's also spiritual laws. We know there's a law of gravity, and the law of gravity works. And does it matter if someone comes along and just says, I don't believe in the law of gravity? Or I don't feel like the law of gravity is a, is a valid law. Does that really matter what a person thinks? The law of gravity is a law that works. It is a fact. It doesn't matter how a person thinks, feels, or believes. It is a fact. So, when it comes to faith, faith, then, is believing in the facts apart from feelings and emotions. We believe in certain facts, just like mathematical laws, apart from feelings and emotions because our feelings and emotions have nothing to do with the facts revealed to us in scripture in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1 this is from the amplified version this is the classic version of the amplified there's a new version out 
Now faith is the assurance, the confirmation, the title deed of the things we hope for being the proof of things we do not see and the conviction of their reality. Now notice this last part. Faith perceiving as real fact what is not revealed to the senses. Faith then believes in the facts even though the facts may not be revealed to the senses. So first we have the facts and once the facts are revealed then we have faith upon which to stand. We can lay a foundation for our faith life by understanding the facts, the statements of fact that come to us. Faith comes how? By hearing. As we hear the facts from God's word, then we can say, I believe that. But it's when we believe that like we believe two plus two equals four, that we see results. Because we're easily swayed by our feelings and emotions. Which is why we're going to show those last. Now, for example, is it not a fact that the scriptures teach that God created the world? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Does it not say that? Is that a fact? Then why don't evolutionists believe in it? Why don't some scientists believe in it? Because they're not basing their belief system on the facts that come from God's word. They're looking elsewhere trying to discover their own evidences to come up with their own theories. A theory is a supposition based on ignorance of the facts. That's about the bottom line. They don't have the facts because you see they can't see beyond the microscope. But when the scriptures tell us that God made the heavens and the earth, we should believe that like two plus two equal four. Period. But I want to prove this and I want to prove that. I got this fact, I've got that fact. There is no greater fact, no greater statement of fact that's greater than this word of God. And if God said in this book that he made the heavens and the earth, then he made the heavens and the earth. And it's when we establish a belief system that says, if that's what the word says, that's what I believe, now you've got faith. Faith that lines up with the word of God. You've laid your foundation, how? By finding out the facts. Now, was Jesus raised from the dead when his disciples went to Thomas? Yes. If Thomas never believed that Jesus was raised from the dead, would he still be raised from the dead? Yes. So did it matter what Thomas believed? Did it matter what Thomas thought? Did it matter how he felt? There are people today around the world that say they don't believe in Jesus. Does that mean he doesn't exist? That does that mean he's not alive? Or raised from the dead? Or that he's interceding at the Father's right hand? Absolutely not. Well, why do you believe that? Because you have taken the time to study the word of God to discover the facts and you're basing your life of faith on the facts of God's word. You've got a foundation beneath you. You believe what this book says. You believe what it declares to be true. And so facts come first. And then faith is based on the facts. And then finally, we have feelings. And what are feelings? They're emotional responses. Like joy and sorrow, like happiness and sadness, like anger 
And, and it goes on, jealousy and, and, and fear. I mean, the list goes on and on. There's all kinds of feelings and emotions. And the question is, are our feelings, our feelings deserving of our faith? Can we base our faith on our feelings and emotions? Well, obviously our feelings and emotions change from day to day, don't they? And if they fluctuate from day to day, then they're not a safe guide. I don't know that I can base my faith on my feelings because they constantly change. Now, what affects our feelings? Cha what causes the change? Well, it could be the words that you hear. Now, when I tell you we're supposed to get 12 inches of snow tomorrow, you didn't hear that? How does that make you feel? If I say I'm just kidding, I didn't really hear that. You feel a whole lot better. If you heard uh, something negative about maybe your child's out at night driving somewhere and you heard some negative things, someone gives you a phone call, all of a sudden you have feelings of what? Concern about your child. Then when you find out that it wasn't your child that was involved in whatever, what happens to your feelings? They fluctuate in a heartbeat. They change. So feelings and emotions cannot be trusted. We can't depend on our feelings. We can't depend on our emotions. It doesn't matter how we think. What matters is what did God say? That is what matters. Our faith must be based on the facts of God's word. Now, our feelings, they're not a good foundation for our faith. It's up to us to dig deep into the word of God and find out what it says and then base our faith on those statements. For an example, let's just say that um, for some reason you woke up tomorrow and you didn't feel saved. You didn't feel saved. Have you ever done that? Have you ever felt like you weren't saved? Well, is that valid? This one woman went to a pastor's house. It wasn't mine. I think it was two or three o'clock in the morning, somewhere around there. And she knocked on the door and woke him up. And he came to the door, you know, all just shuffled and all that and didn't know what was going on. And said, what's the matter? What's the matter? And she was just crying her eyes out. And she was upset. And she had all this, you know, she was in a frenzy. What's the matter? What's the matter? I think I lost my salvation, she said. He looked at her and said, what awful thing did you think you did that you lost your salvation? Well, Nothing. Well, why did, you think you why did you think you lost your salvation? I don't feel saved, she said. I don't feel like I'm saved anymore. I used to have this feeling of joy and all that. I don't feel that anymore. He said, welcome. Welcome. We all go through this where you don't feel like maybe you're saved. But it's not based on feelings. He said, even I sometimes don't feel like I'm saved. And she said, oh, surely you can't feel that way. He says, I feel that way right now, three o'clock in the morning when you woke me up. I guarantee you I feel that way right now. <laughs> well, then she said, what do you do then? He said, I go to the facts of God's word. And if I don't feel that way, I remind myself of what that book says. 
I've been saved by grace through faith. I've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. And I start saying that I am forgiven, I am delivered, I am set free, I am more than a conqueror. And thank God for the victory that I have in me because of Jesus. I have been born again. I am a child of God. I am on my way to glory. And before long, he was getting excited. She started saying the same thing and she got excited. What happened here? Facts produce faith, which produce emotions and emotional feelings. They follow. All of a sudden then she started getting excited and she realized, I really didn't lose my salvation. I am saved. Praise God. That could have waited until morning, I would think. Wouldn't you think the same thing? I would think the same thing. All right. I want to share with us some facts from the word of God that we can rest our faith on. Just a few of them. There are so many. But let's start with here. The love of God. God's love for every single one of us. Sometimes people will say, I don't feel like God loves me. Have you ever said that? It just doesn't feel like God loves me. I want a feeling so that I can know that God loves me. Well, what is that feeling? Can you define it for me? Does it mean you've got goosebumps when you came to church? It means God now loves you? No. Our faith must be based on the facts of God's word. And John 3, 16 says that God so loved the world. Are you part of the world? That he gave his son. There's the verse, you know it. So it's based on the facts of God's word that God loves me. And so I know God loves me because my faith is based on the fact of God's word that declares that God loves me. And as Romans says, he introduced his love to me in sending his son to die for me. So not only did he say he loves me, but he also proved he loved me. And Jesus said, greater love is no man than this, that a man laid down his life for his friends. And so his love for me is not based on my feelings. It's not based on my emotions. It's not based on how I think today. It is not based on my performance or anything that I have done or I have not done. It is based on what Jesus did. It's based on his performance and me recognizing the fact and then doing what? Basing my faith, arresting my faith on the foundation of God's word. And we start declaring it. God, I know you love me. Father, I know you love me more than I love my own children. And I know I love my own children a whole lot. But I know you love me. I know you care for me. And so you start saying that. You start declaring that. And all of a sudden, what happens? Feelings follow. They begin to show up. You start experiencing that joy that's unspeakable and full of glory. Why? Because you, you've activated the power of God within you by your faith. Your expressions all of a sudden change. Just like that woman's did. Secondly, another blessed truth. We are accepted in the beloved and we are forgiven. Notice these verses in Ephesians chapter 1. To the praise of the glory of his grace wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Notice, we are accepted in the beloved, and we have forgiveness of all sin. Now, what's important here is to know the fact that I'm accepted. Now, you might not be accepted at the local, let's just say, um, 
fraternity or sorority or the country club. You may not even be accepted out on the streets. But I want you to know something. Someone paid your sin debt for you. Someone took away your sin from you. Someone destroyed the work of the enemy for you so that you, based on what he did, could be accepted in the beloved and also for forgiven of all sin. That is a fact. Would you rather be in the most prestigious country club that this world has to offer or in the family of God as an heir of God and join heirs with Jesus? I'd rather be a part of the royal family. What about you? So faith then is based on the fact that I am a child of God. I'm accepted among the beloved. I am forgiven of all my sins. And I stand before the throne of God righteous as if sin had never been a part of my life. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. And so the fact is revealed to us in scripture. But the question is, am I waiting for a feeling so I can feel forgiven? Am I waiting for a feeling that tells me I'm accepted among the beloved? Or do I just take a hold of God's word, look at it, embrace it, and say, Father God, if you said I'm accepted, I'm accepted. If you said I'm forgiven, I'm forgiven. If you say I'm loved by you, I'm loved by you. Two plus two equal four. And that's all there is to it. I'm not changing what I believe because of my feelings and emotions. So if you wake up tomorrow and it might be a humdrum day, just another mundane day, and maybe you have these feelings rise up inside you that make you think all this negativity about your life and about what's going on and even challenge God's love for you you go back to the book you pick it up you open it up to those verses and you read them out loud you look yourself in the mirror and say you are a masterpiece I am his workmanship you are his workmanship I am the masterpiece of almighty God the work of God Recreated in Christ Jesus unto good works. By the blood of the Lamb I've been washed from anything and everything that is offensive to the almighty God that I serve. Start talking to yourself. See, that's meditation. Meditate it, declare it to be true, and base your faith on what the word says. Number three. First Peter 2.24. But number three is, this is a fact now. These are facts to rest our faith on. We were healed at Calvary. We were healed at Calvary. 1 Peter 2.24 says it. His own self bare sins in his own body on the tree that we, being dead to sin, should live to righteousness. By whose stripes ye were healed. Is that a fact? In the mind of God, that is a statement of fact. And it's loaded with revelation. It takes you back to Isaiah 53. We look at Isaiah 53 and we read it. And as we read it, we see the suffering Savior on the cross. And if we can envision it, we see him so marred more than any man. He doesn't appear human-like. 
we can see also the Lord laying on him the iniquity of us all. We can also see the stripes that Jehovah placed on him. It wasn't the stripes of the Roman lictor. It was the stripes that Jehovah placed on him. And it becomes a vivid reality to us. We see it in our mind's eye. In Numbers 21, when we have this type of Jesus dying on the cross, they were bitten by serpents. If they would look at the type, the serpent on a pole, with a steady absorbing gaze, attentively, expectantly, with a steady absorbing gaze, if they would just look at it, but remember you're bitten, and so you're looking down here at your ankle, or you're looking up there, the serpent on the pole, take your pick. If you look down here, you die. If you look up there, you live. You're dealing with symptoms, feelings, and emotions, and you're dealing with facts based on the work of God in Christ. And that's exactly the fight we fight when it comes to sickness and disease. But the fact is this, on the cross, he became our curse, he became sin, sickness, mental anguish, and disease. He became the curse for us so that by his stripes we would be healed. This is the goal for all of us to get to the place that we recognize that fact and exalt it above our symptoms. You talk about fighting the good fight of faith. We need to exalt the facts above our symptoms. There was a lady that went to a healing meeting. Other people were coming out of wheelchairs and being made whole. By the time the minister got to her, he said the, uh, the anointing, the gifts of the Spirit were in operation, had lifted. And he said to her, Sister, I, I'm not going to minister to you by the anointing like I did some of these others. He said, but that's okay. I still have the word. And the word says that you were healed. And she said, what do you mean? Well, the word says you were healed. And she just looked at him and says, I don't know what you mean. He said, Sister, if I can show you in the Bible that you were healed, will you believe it? And she said, yeah, I'm a stickler for the word of God if you can show it to me. He said, open up your Bible, 1 Peter 2.24, she opened it up. Read it. She read it. Read it again. She read it. Read the last part again. By whose stripes you were healed. Read it again. She read it again. She said, by whose stripes you were healed. Well, if I was healed, then I am healed. He said, yeah, that's right. You got it. And she kept sitting there in this wheelchair paralyzed. If I was healed, then I am healed. All of a sudden, she took off on her own. And this is so important. Thank you, Jesus. You healed me. You healed me on the cross. You healed me with your stripes. I was healed. If I was healed, oh, Lord, then I am healed. I want to thank you for healing me. And she just got off on thanking him and blessing him and worshiping him based on the facts. The preacher said, well, then get up and walk. And she jumped out of the wheelchair, and she was completely whole as a result of just reading one verse of scripture and basing what she believed on the facts. The fact is, I was healed. It just completely revolutionized her life. And beloved, that's why I, I just emphasize the importance of all of us 
If you're going to pray and ask God for anything, find a statement of fact. Find a promise from God. We cannot approach the throne of God without his word. With a true heart and full assurance of faith, our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in the pure water of the word. Come boldly to the throne of grace, we are told. How? With the word of God in our heart and on our lips. Father, you said by the stripes of Jesus, I was healed. Therefore, I am healed. I am coming to your throne to thank you that your word is true. It's a fact it can't change. It's when we know it like we know two and two is four that it becomes a reality. Now, point four. Point four. We have resurrection power. And I want to emphasize that this is something that the Holy Spirit just quickened in my spirit to really emphasize here tonight. We have resurrection power in us. Every one of us. In Romans 8.11, it says, But if the Spirit of Him that raised Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. Every single one of us has resurrection power on the inside of us. This is the power that raised up Jesus from the dead. Paul said this was the greatest working of God's power. When he raised him from the dead, it was the great, Ephesians chapter 1 says it, it was the greatest working of God's power. Creating the world was not the greatest working of God's power. Casting out demons is not the greatest working of God's power. He cast out demons with his finger. The Bible says, if I by the finger of God cast them out, then who do you, but you and your children cast them out how? Isn't that what Jesus said? No, making his whole creation and all that's in it was not the greatest working of his power. Creating man was not the greatest working of his power. Creating the animals was not the greatest working of his power. Raising Christ from the dead was the greatest working of his almighty power. And when he raised him, he raised us up together with him. Praise God. Can you imagine that? We were raised up together with him when he raised him from the dead. So in other words, for you and me, for us, for all of us, to be raised up out of our sin debt and spiritual death and separation from God was the greatest working of God's power. We are a new creation, which means a new species that never before existed. And how did this happen? The greatest working of God's almighty power in Christ when he raised him from the dead and raised us from the dead. Guess what? We've got power on the inside of us. We've got resurrection power on the inside of us. It can either lie there dormant or it can be activated by our faith. It's up to us to say, I believe it. Now, is it a fact? Yes. Does it matter what I think or believe? No. Does it matter how I feel? No. But I don't feel like I have all that power in me. And you won't as long as you keep talking like that. But I don't feel like it or, or, or I don't know that I believe that. If you don't, you're not believing the facts from God's word. Here is the trouble with the church today. All they want is emotion. People want to sit and be taught. 
and receive from the word of God. The word of God makes it very clear that every single one of us is a temple of the most high God. And God is living in us. God is dwelling in us. God has taken up residency in us in the person and power of the Holy Ghost. And what's he doing? Quickening our mortal bodies. He wants to take these mortal bodies of ours and make them alive and full of health. And if you really follow that line of thinking all the way through in that teaching, he's talking about this process of transmutation. Transmutation is a process by which we eat food and it is changed when it enters our bloodstream and provides life. A lower form of life feeds a higher form of life. That's transmutation. But biblically speaking, in that verse, it's talking about the subject, transmutation. We've got the life of God on the inside of us that is giving life to a lower form of life, our flesh, on the outside. It's on the inside. We just got to get it to the outside. How do we do that? By faith. By declaring and decreeing the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, that took his emaciated body and healed it and delivered him and set him free and glorified it, is living in me. And he's quickening my body. And we start thanking him for quickening our mortal bodies. Our faith is based on the facts of God's word that makes that very clear. And then next, our fifth one. We have living on the inside of us a force that is greater than any adversary we can face in this life. Doesn't matter what name it is. Doesn't matter where it comes from. We have living on the inside of us a greater force. In 1 John, that's wrong I think in your notes there. It should have been 1 John, not just John, my mistake. Notice what it says. You are of God. Can you say that with me? I'm of God. How's that sound? I am of God. You are of God, little children. And have overcome them. He's talking about all evil spirits devils, demons, powers of darkness. Why have I overcome them, Lord? Because greater is he that sits on the throne. Is that what it says? Hmm. Greater is he who walked on the earth. Greater is the apostle Paul. Greater is he that is where? Where is he? Glory to God. Then he that is in the world. Greater is he that's in me than he that is in the world. There is a power on the inside of us that is greater than any adversary, any enemy we can possibly face. That power is there. It's up to us to believe the fact of God's word. Lay the foundation of our faith upon it and then proclaim it and declare it. And even though I don't feel like that's true, it's true. It's not based on my feelings. It's not based on my thinking. It's not based on anything about me. Two plus two equal what? Is that a fact? Is it based on how I feel? What if I say I don't believe that? 
Does it matter what I believe? Does it matter what um, the evolutionists believe? Doesn't matter. It's true no matter what. Someone says in some classroom somewhere, some professor says, I don't believe in Jesus Christ and his resurrection from the dead. That's a fairy tale. Does that matter? Do you think that Jesus is getting nervous over that? I don't think so. I remember this story I heard it years ago and many years ago when I was just recently saved. I heard this when I was working down the mill and this one brother was sharing it with me and he just said that in the classroom, a college classroom where this professor was making fun of this young lady in that class because of her convictions, her, her religious beliefs, her Christianity, her being born again and all that. He would make sport of her during the class and single her out and make fun of her. Where's your God? Did you bring him to school with you today? And all the kids, young adults, would laugh. And every time the opportunity arose, that's exactly what he would do to her. Show me your God. Show me your Jesus. Tell me, is he alive? What is he doing? Sitting there next to you in a chair? Oh, I know, he's in you, right? He's inside you, right? Sure. Well, you just show him to me. Show him to me, and then I'll believe. And every day he would just harp on her. Well, one day, he got his request answered. He heard a knock on his classroom door. And when the door opened, he opened the door to look outside. There was a light that was brighter than the noonday sun. It was so bright, he fell over dead right there in the hallway. He wanted to see him. Can any man see God like that and live? No. Think about that. Well, you know what? We've got that Shekinah glory on the inside of us. And the question is, what are we doing with it? Are we stirring up the gift of God? You see, if we want to, matter of fact, here's, here's a, a testimony of D.L. Moody. How many of you know D.L. Moody? Great evangelist, right? D.L. Moody, Moody Press. You get your books from Moody Press. And he said, I would get alone with God and I would pray, oh Lord, increase my faith. Increase my faith. I want my faith to grow. He said, no matter how many hours I would pray, I still had no more faith. He said, then one day the Holy Spirit spoke to me and opened up my eyes. He said, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. He said, I stopped praying and I started studying. I got into the word of God and I started learning facts from the word of God that I based my faith on. And lo and behold, it wasn't very long. My faith began to grow. You want to believe God to meet your need? Then find yourself a verse of scripture that says, My God supplies all my need according unto his riches and glory. But Christ Jesus, it's not based on the economy. It's not based on finding a job. Because as far as I'm concerned, God can find me a job, make a way where there is no way. It's based on what God said. And I believe what God's word says. And I guarantee you, if you will find that verse of scripture in Philippians 4.19, you will embrace that verse of scripture and you will hold your Bible up to the throne of Almighty God and say, Father God, you said, you said, you supply all my need. Therefore, I'm not going to worry. I'm not going to fret. As far as I'm concerned, you are Jehovah Jireh. You are the Lord, my provider. You provide for my every need. And my faith is based on the foundation of the fact that came from your word. I believe it. I declare it, I proclaim it, I'm thanking you that I have it. Your feelings will follow. They'll follow. 
and you'll start seeing God to show up on the scene. He'll, be, he'll show himself faithful. I'm telling you, the Wigglesworth says he'll, he'll go over a million people to get one person with faith. One person with faith. He'll do that. Amen. Let's conclude looking at John's Gospel, chapter 20, once again. <clears throat> now look at verse 26. After, and after eight days, again, his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not what? Faithless, but believing. See, he was going by feelings, and so he wasn't believing. He wasn't believing the facts. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, you have believed, but blessed are they that have not seen and yet believed. Faith believes the unseen. Faith is believing the facts apart from sight, feelings, or emotions. And here we see that Thomas made a tremendous change in his life. He was so on fire for God. As I said, he just went out and evangelized everywhere he went. These disciples that were cowering in fear had a change about them after the resurrection and the day of Pentecost that drove them to proclaim the gospel everywhere they went with no regard for their lives, with no fear for their lives because they had the facts of God's word that they embraced and they knew what they were preaching was absolutely positively true and so fearlessly, with no regard for their lives, they proclaimed it. Beloved, in these last days, we need to have the same kind of fearless boldness to proclaim the word. Can you not see the enemy is sticking up his head boldly everywhere you look? Whether it's in our government, whether it's in our school system, whether it's in, in, in society, think about it. It's time that believers rise up with the word of God and proclaim the facts from God's word boldly and take hold of what belongs to them. Well, where's yours? Where, let's conclude by saying this. Where's yours? Your faith. Or how do you put the three? Is it feelings, faith, facts? Or for you, is it facts? faith, feelings. I know the Lord just showed me that this is going to resonate in some people's lives like never before. Facts. Two plus two is four. That cannot change. It is unchangeable. God can't change. His word can't change. The facts can't change. Only people can change. When that woman changed her view and her belief system, she got healed of paralysis. When she saw the light of the truth of God's word and the fact that was proclaimed to her, she embraced it and got her healing. God wants us to believe the facts and leave the doing up to him. Let's all stand together before the Lord. Hi, Pastor Bill here. I want to thank you for joining us today. 
On behalf of my wife, Krista, and Krista Selby Church, I want you to know that we're here to serve you and your family. Whether you have young children or kids in elementary school, if you're a teenager or a young adult, we have a passion to provide a safe and comfortable environment where you can grow in God and build a solid foundation of His love for you. And with that foundation, we encourage you to take the gospel of Jesus Christ with you wherever you go. It is our heart at Christian Assembly to be an outreach, to be the hand of God toward Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. We want to join as the body of Christ to make one last trumpet call before the final trumpet sound, and through a life of worship, bring in a harvest of people. With whatever gifts God has given you, we want you to be free to share those gifts and talents. Life is most fulfilled when we share God's love with others. And in all that we do, we want to demonstrate the power of the name of Jesus to the world through a ministry of excellence, to God first, and then also to you. So whatever the situation, wherever you are, whatever you're going through, I want you to know that we love you, and God loves you, and has a wonderful plan for your life. And that plan begins by making Jesus the Lord and the Savior of your life. And if you've never made that decision yet, I'd like to invite you to pray a simple prayer with me. And if you will, Jesus will become your Savior and your Lord. Just repeat after me this prayer. Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I now accept you and receive you as my personal Savior and Lord. Heavenly Father, I have called on the name of Jesus. I'm now your child in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.